I'm Jennifer Gonzalez from the Cult of Pedagogy podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one... Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Jimmy Casas, a best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach with 22 years of experience as a school leader. Jimmy is an award-winning principal who served 14 years as principal at Bettendorf High School in Iowa. Under Jimmy's leadership, Bettendorf High School was named one of the best high schools in the country three different times by Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report. He was named the 2012 Iowa Principal of the Year, and he was selected as one of three finalists in 2013 for National Principal of the Year. Jimmy is now the author of four books, including What Connected Educators Do Differently, Start Right Now, Teach and Lead for Excellence, the best-selling book, Culturize Every Student, Every Day, whatever it takes, and his latest release is Stop Right Now, 39 Stops to Make Schools Better with co-author Jeff Zuhl. Jimmy is the CEO and president of Jay Casas and Associates, an educational leadership company that provides high quality and meaningful coaching support to educators across the country. Jimmy is also part of the PD faculty for the National Association for Secondary School Principals, and he serves as a principal advisor for Future Ready Schools, a project of the Alliance for Excellent Education. Be sure to connect with Jimmy at Casas underscore Jimmy and visit his website at jimmycasas.com. This one was a lot of fun as I had the chance to spend some time with one of the nation's leading voices on school culture and school leadership. So kick back, relax, and turn up the volume my conversation with Jimmy Casas begins right now. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm so excited to have Jimmy Casas with us today. As you know, Jimmy is a best-selling author, uh, author of the great book on school culture entitled Culturize. He also has a great new book out with uh, Jeff Zuhl a retired school administrator from the Chicagoland area who I've known for a very long time, just a wonderful person. Stop Right Now is a book about the 39 things you want to stop doing. And so this is the sequel to the book that Jimmy and Jeff had released earlier called Start Right Now. So you definitely want to check out both those books, Culturize and Stop Right Now. Uh, both are a great read and, and something you want to be a part of your professional library. So, Jimmy, let's get right to it, and uh, can't wait to talk a little bit about school culture today. You know, I just had uh, Alyssa Gallagher on the podcast here. She's the author of a great book on design thinking for school leaders, and we were talking about, uh, or she was talking about creating a bug list, walking around your school and just making a list of things that bug you 
that was kind of her first step to creating any kind of change. And, and when she was talking about that, I was kind of thinking about your book with Jeff and the stop right now kind of mentality. And a couple of things jumped off the page at me uh, real quick that I wanted to share with you and with our listeners. Uh, the two things that bug me the most probably are um, just terminology or some of the language that we continue to use. As, as an example, I hate the term professional development because no one wants to be developed. I mean, that sounds like a very top-down, I want to mold you into whatever it is I think you should be type of educator. And the other is this idea that we all line up and we go to the computer lab as if that's the only place uh, in the building that you can use technology. And so uh, as she was talking about the bug list and as I was kind of looking at your stop right now, those were the two things that kind of jumped into my mind. And I know you and Jeff have had a lot of conversation about stop right now, but what kind of feedback have you been getting and what kind of response are you getting when you go out and, and speak with people about the stops? Yeah, um, I think we're getting, obviously, a lot of good feedback from people. Well, I know uh, Jeff and I were both involved in a boxer group uh, that some people started, and I know there's a couple other ones getting started right now. And it's just, what I love about it is not, you know, obviously, Jeff and I only have an opinion, right? We say this all the time that, you know, we don't really have any answers, but we have a lot of opinions, and those opinions are just based on a number of years of experience. I'm not sure any of us really have the right answer, but... I just try to think logically through things in terms of what we do in our profession and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And again, and that's what I love about it. it the book was not meant to be, oh, well, Jimmy and Jeff know what we should be stopping right now in our schools. It was more to stimulate discussion, right? You get, begin to get people to think about why we do the things we do in schools and why do we do the things we do in schools. And the reality is this, there are still some very practical traditional things that we have done for since the beginning of education that I feel are still really, really good, right? Things that we should continue doing. But there's also things that evolve and there's things that change, whether it's through because it's unique to your community or perhaps it's the times that we live in, the generation. So there are certainly things that evolve. And as we all know, Greg, things go full circle sometimes, right? With a different name. And so it's the bottom line is it's about just having conversation and being able to have professional dialogue over different things that happen in our schools and how can we continue to evolve and get better. And so when I think about like the change, right, the, in terms of, you know, and I share this a lot is that, you know, I do get concerned when people talk about how educators hate change and we're scared of change. And I just think we have to be really careful with that narrative, right? Because I think it sends the wrong message. You know, we complain when the community you know, is negative or the narrative out there is negative about educators saying that we always do the same thing, but then we're part of the problem, right? Because we say these things. And so, you know, I've never met an educator who didn't want to change, but I met a lot of educators that were overwhelmed because we didn't give them the resources. We didn't give them the support. We didn't give them the guidance. And more importantly, we didn't give them the time to change, right? And we're certainly not taking anything away from them. We're not removing something from their plate. But if you take these other factors and make that part of the change process, I've never met an educator who didn't want to get better, right? And so I just think we need to look at things differently. Um, and funny you talk about which I think language is, plays a huge role in how we shape our culture and the things that we say. It's funny that you say that, right? Like professional development, Tom Murray often says that as well, right? And, you know, we don't, you know, people don't want to be developed. But the term buy-in to me, right, when you talk about culture, you know, I don't want people buying in. I feel like we're trying to sell them something. We're trying to convince them of something. And, that people invest, right? Because to me, that's sustainable and people then do it because 
they want to do it as opposed to feeling pressure to buy into something. And, and like yourself, I spend a lot of time talking with practitioners uh, and aspiring school leaders in grad ed programs that I'm a part of. And, and I hear a lot of people talk about wanting to change schools from the inside out. And I understand that concept and that mentality, but I'm of the belief, and I want to, I, I think you probably feel the same way. Uh, in order to really change a school and to change culture, you, I, I feel like you have to begin from the outside and figure out what those perceptions are within your community about your school and do a real hard self-assessment or self-reflection to get a real understanding of what's going on because sometimes we get lost in our own bubble in our office or in our school, and we all assume that we have great culture. But in reality, once you start talking to people at an external level, you might be surprised at some of the answers. Right, and that's where the idea, Greg, of culturized came. It wasn't about uh, seeing the culture through your own eyes, right? And I tell people often that, you know, I was a principal for 22 years, and honestly, I want my first 12 years back, right? Because, you know, we all do the best we can when we go into this profession. Uh, we're trying to figure it out. But, you know, I went into the profession and started as a principal when I was 26 years old, and honestly, I didn't have the skill sets yet to do that job. It is so demanding. There are so many different variables that come into play, and there are so many different skill sets that we have to have, whether you're a teacher, first-time teacher, first-time principal, first-time superintendent. These are very difficult jobs that require a tremendous skill set. And so, you know, our schools are doing the very best they can, our prep programs, but the reality is it's really hard to simulate about what's about to happen when you walk into that school for the very first time in a classroom full of children or a building full of teachers and so forth. So Culturize was really meant to begin to look at, at our cultures, not through our eyes, but like you said, through the eyes of our students, through the eyes of our staff, our parents, our community, really take a authentic audit of our work and what's going on in schools. Because I do believe, Greg, and I, you know, I don't try to be controversial about things, but I just try to be as honest and as real as I can. I think most of the issues that are in our schools today were created by the adults, right? But we sometimes like to blame the children and we'd like to blame other outside factors. No, we're responsible for our morale. We're responsible for the culture and climate in which we serve our children. So at the end of the day, guess what? What are we going to do about it? And so, you know, when you look at communities and cultures, it's pretty easy to get negative about people on the outside who are sharing a negative narrative about the work that we do. But I always say, well, then what are we doing about that? So why don't we be more intentional in inviting people in so they can see what's happening? But again, often they'll get the response, well, I did, and they didn't show up. And I say, yep, invite them again, right? And you just keep inviting them again. And never make it about us, but we just continue to do the work that we're supposed to do. And if we're modeling those behaviors that we want to see repeated, in other words, we're being positive, positive, we're trying to for all students, then I think that has to begin with us. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And, and I also talked to a lot of uh, current superintendents and principals, and th there's almost this, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but there's almost this constant fear that if we open ourselves up to any kind of criticism or if we ask people what they think about our school culture or what we can do better, uh, I mean, it's people are scared to hear the truth sometimes, but we both know you're never going to get better and improve until you attack the problem, and you have to know what the problem is. Right, but some of those perceptions come, sometimes come great because people don't know. 
So again, I don't know why we wouldn't invite people in to see that, right? I would often tell people, I mean, I think, for example, I mean, I always love giving building tours, right, to new families and so forth, or community members, or anyone who came in as a guest. I wanted to show off our school. I wanted to show off our students and our staff. I wanted them to see the great things. You know, I even think about our neighbors around our school. I was in a neighborhood community. We invited people. Sometimes people had a perception that wasn't very positive about our students. I mean, if you live across the street from a high school, you know, your perception is going to be that teenagers drive really fast. <laughs> they're rude. They're obnoxious. They're loud. They trash your your yard. They park illegally in your driveways. I mean, these are the perceptions that some of our neighbors have about our kids. So unless we're being intentional and inviting that population of community members into our school, well, why else would they not have a different perception? So what are we going to do about that? So on top of that, I'd say this, Greg, is that when it comes to school culture, it is the foundation of everything we do. It's going to be hard to have a very successful school. I challenge people all the time. You name me one high-performing school that has a poor culture, and that's going to be really tough to find. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist because I'm sure it does because there's an exception to everything, but that's the exception, not the norm. And so, but if you if you look at any schools that are underperforming or failing, I'm pretty sure you're going to find a pretty toxic culture, right? Not a very good culture. And so I think those two things are uh, correlate, and so we just have to recognize that that's the foundation of everything, and to me, that's where the work begins. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of the schools that I worked in, especially my last school at Bettendorf. Um, I give the credit to uh, a staff, and I've shared this with them, so I have no problem sharing it publicly. That you know, that school, at least from my first experience, is that it's really easy to fall back to average, especially when you're considered a really good school. And they were a really good school before I got there, and there's no doubt about that. But I just always knew we could be so much better. And the only way that could happen is we had to then truly make a shift from that adult-centered culture to a student-centered culture, to remember why we're there, to remember it is always and has been and always will be about our children, and more importantly, how do we build an environment where the community really is proud of it and wants to be a part of that school community. And another big piece to the book, another big takeaway for me after you talked about why does average exist and why would you allow that to happen, the next obvious question is uh, what would you do differently if you were not afraid? And, and this is also a question that I think uh, a lot of people have, and I'm sure that people talk with you about this all the time, but especially new principals or new school leaders, it seems like a lot of times – Time is the greatest enemy because we, we want to jump in quickly and make the big changes or the obvious changes that we know we need to make to forge ahead. But we also know that there has to be a process in place. So what advice do you give people about just change in general and having the courage to step up and make some of those changes if it's very obvious for, right from the get-go that you have some immediate changes that need to be made to improve your culture? Yeah, so definitely. Um... You know, here's one thing that, Greg, I wasn't prepared for, right? I didn't think this way when I went into the role of principal, and that is to begin to think in terms of a process or a framework or a system, right? In other words, how do you lead? And the number one thing that I think all leaders and all teachers need to be able to recognize and, more importantly, communicate and articulate to others is what is your core? Where are you leading from? You know, it's hard to build capacity when people are always asking for permission, right? And so it's the reason I think people are always asking that is because I, 
it's my belief that, first of all, I've never been an educator that didn't want to be great. I've never been an educator who didn't go into the profession because they wanted to do really good things for kids. But I've met a lot of educators who have lost their way and slowly over time have fallen back to average. And when you begin to talk to teachers who are perhaps, you know, not as energized, not as passionate, perhaps even somewhat cynical um, or even apathetic about kids, we have to believe that they don't want to be that way, right? Over time, they eventually ended up there because of the experiences that they've had in the school or over their career. And sometimes these experiences have been quite negative, right? And so they begin to take a different perspective on their ability to make an impact. And that's where we get into trouble in schools. So I think that, you know, we have to believe by really listening to the stories of not only our students, but we also have to listen to the stories of the adults. How can we ask our adults to work with children and take care of children when no one's taking care of them? So that's where it's, why it's important to build that community. And when you talk about the word fear, I always think that's really interesting because that's one thing I often get a lot of requests. I'm, you know, every day I get, you know, direct messages, you know, tweets, private messages, text messages, phone calls, emails, that there's a culture of fear. So they feel paralyzed, like they can't do anything, right? And I always have to remember that, you know, people can't fix what they don't know. So if we're ever going to get better at a profession, we have to be able to go have conversations with people, even if it's your supervisor, and tell people how you are feeling so we can begin to address the real issues. And that is how do we get back to living our excellence every day rather than falling to average? And so I always tell people, listen, how's it working for you now? So <laughs> if you're calling me, how could it be any worse, right? Like, what are you worried about? <laughs> like, right? And I understand. I don't try to make light of that. Certainly there are people who feel like, you know, their job's in jeopardy or perhaps have lost their job because they were too vocal or they spoke out. And I always tell people, guess what? I bet you probably ended up in a better place anyway, right? And so I'm not, you know, so Pollyannic doesn't mean you can't be successful somewhere else, but you don't start there. You go through a series of steps before you get to that ultimate decision. Because I tell people all the time, I don't like when people quit. I think it's a terrible thing to model that it's easy to quit. And quite frankly, once you start quitting, yeah, it just gets easier to quit. And so, but I also recognize that sometimes you have to take a stance for what you believe in. If it's true to your core and you think, I just can't be that person, I have no issues with that. I don't judge anyone for the reasons they do what they do. I just think that we have to, you know, look at every factor before we make that final decision. You know, Jimmy, one of the things I really love about Culturize is you tell so many wonderful stories and, and really lift up all those amazing uh, teachers and coaches that you've had, both as a student and those folks you've had an opportunity to work with. And as I was reading the book here recently, I was thinking about the people that influenced me the most were teachers and coaches. And, and I think back to uh, when I was in high school, and uh, I had a chance to go attend uh, the basketball camp at University of Kentucky. And we had a, uh, just a local high school coach that was working with my team. And, and I'll never forget the impact he made on me personally. But he gathered us all together, and, and he told us about Wildcat time. He said if we were going to be part of his team, that we always had to be on Wildcat time. And his definition of Wildcat time was you're always going to be 10 minutes early. So if we have a game at 2 o'clock on court four, 
then we're going to be there 10 till with our shoes on ready to play. And to this day, uh, I still uh, operate on Wildcat time. I used that when I was a coach myself, and I've used it throughout my life. And I don't know who he is. I don't remember his name. But uh, he probably had no idea he had that type of impact on me and probably so many kids that were at that camp that week because Wildcat time is still uh, very much a part of who I am. Um, that I also – it's funny, right, because I did actually Iowa basketball camp for 15 years. And um, so one of the ways we always close camp is throughout the week we would do these different trick shots, myself and the other coaches and – the Iowa basketball players. And we were always having these little competitions throughout the week. And we'd always close camp the same week that we'd have the, this competition where we'd have to bounce uh, from half court, take a ball off the wall and make it in the basket from half court. Right. So you can imagine this angle of off the wall down to the half court into the basket. So every year we do this. And I still remember one time um, after the camp, after I had made the shot, my son said to me, dad, how did you know that that was going to go in? And I said, I didn't know it was going to go in, but I believed it would go in, right? And so I share that story because I think that's how schools have to be. Like kids have to walk in believing that they can learn. Uh, our staff has to walk in believing that our kids want to be great. Our principals need to walk in believing that our teachers want to be great. And so I, I, I've always been a believer that most of what happens happens right here between our temples right and in our hearts and if we can just continue to remind ourselves that as professional educators that when we give our heart to our children and we give our compassion and our empathy to our staff and our children that our schools can do amazing things and uh, if we don't have hope and faith then I'm not sure what we have uh, I don't know about you Greg but when I went in this profession I went into it because I wanted to make an impact and then I had people inspire me to not just make an impact, but to make the greatest impact that we possibly could. And that's just what I've always tried to remember. And, you know, uh, the folks listening obviously can't see you, but you're sporting your Go Crickets uh, gear uh, from your good buddy Joe Sanfilippo. And you guys have been friends for a long time, and I have tremendous respect for Joe and, and what he does. And I know he's out there leading the fight and talking about uh, telling your school story. But as I think about school culture and I think about the connection you have with Joe and the value and the importance of banging that drum as loud as you possibly can to let people know about all the great kids, all the great teachers, all the incredible things happening in your school and why that's so important uh, for all of us that work in a school environment. And I, you know, we talk about it a lot, but I think a lot of times we don't place as great of emphasis as needed in telling our story and letting people know that there are awesome things going on. Definitely. And, you know, Joe's, you know, he always is reminding us that, you know, if we don't tell our story, someone else will. Right. And usually those are being told by people who've never been in our schools. And again, it just goes back to the ideas that, I mean, I still recognize that some people have this fear about social media, right? It's always interesting to me how people will immediately go to the negativity of all the things that can happen, right? And so I don't live in a what-if world. I don't start my, you know, my day or any project or anything by thinking, oh, geez, what if this happens and what if that happens, right? Um, why don't we start this way? What if we did that and our kids were amazing? What if we did that and kids started coming and doing these types of things? We don't 
typically think that way, right? We go to the worst case scenario, which then prevents us from actually taking risks or being innovative or being creative. And so that's one thing I always think about. The second thing is from leaders perspective, I always say to ourselves, you know, as principals or as teachers in the classroom with kids, if we're going to talk about being risk takers or innovators or creators, then we can't be the ones putting the lid on others, right? We can't begin all the excuses. Well, we don't have the money to do that. And, you know, I'm not sure they will let us do that or where we, you know, uh, you want to take kids and go where overnight? You know, there's all these factors that come into play that immediately just squelch people's passion and, and you know, willingness to create and think outside the box, right? So, again, I think adults create these environments, right? The kids aren't doing that. We, these adults, are doing that. So, uh, these are things that are really important to me in terms of why we have to continue to carry the banner for our profession, the work that we do each and every day. The bottom line is this. The story is being told with or without you right? You can block every social media. If you think kids can't get on Facebook, if you think kids can't get on, you know, Twitter at school because you think you have it blocked, guess what? There's, they're going to get on there anyway, and I'd rather have access available. So when kids get themselves in situations, because they will, you know why? Because they're children, they're kids, they're young adults, they don't have the maturity nor the skill sets, that I would rather have them make those mistakes when they're still surrounded by adults who can take those lessons and truly turn them into life lessons rather than life sentences and begin to work with our children to recognize they're going to go out into a world someday without the skill set because we never gave them an opportunity to fail. We never put them in a position to mess up, right? And so, again, there's got to be some components to school where we're trusting others and then we're recognizing that they will make mistakes and this is how they learn uh, and so how do we build these environments that aren't of fear? But the reality is, guess what? They're talking about you anyway. And if they are, I'd rather know that they are. <laughs> so why not just be open to that? But it is interesting to me how people will quickly go to want to shut things down when something bad happens, right? We will penalize and punish the mass because a couple kids, you know, went on social media and did something, right? And so unfortunately to me, that's, those are culture killers and we're creating that issue. You know, we, we talk a lot about the status quo. We talk about traditional models of education. And the last several years, we've talked about there has to be this um, shift in ideology as to how we're going to reimagine schools or reinvent schools. And I'm obviously in that camp, or I wouldn't be doing a reimagined schools type podcast. But as I talk to experts from all different um, areas, and, you know, there are so many things that are being thrown out right now, whether it's project-based learning or design thinking or inquiry-based this or that. And my fear is sometimes we get too lost into the next thing that's popular on Twitter or the next popular book that comes out. And if we could just get back to the basics of connecting with people and improving that school culture, don't you think that would go much further in having sustainable change over the long term? Absolutely. And that's kind of what we talked about at the beginning, right? That the foundation is always going to be based on those relationships, right? The amount of time we're investing in people, how we're treating other people. Uh, if you have a healthy culture, obviously, then you can do academically, you know, really, really good things. And so, so here's how I look at that, Greg. It's funny you say that because it's no different. Like, let me give you an example. Um, we'll often talk about how lecturing is bad, that we shouldn't have teachers lecturing. Um, 
Um, I just like you, I've seen all the trends that have come and gone, right? So we can talk about, for example, flip classrooms, right? Then we have people flipping meetings, right? So we have all these things. And it's interesting to me how quickly that we as a profession will dive all in, right? And I always tell people, look, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I don't think it's good to flip your classroom every day, right? I don't think it's good to say you should never lecture. I've met some pretty amazing lecturers that make a tremendous impact on kids, right? Now, do I think it's good that you lecture every day? No, and here's why. Even if you're a tremendous lecturer, there are two reasons why. One, we continue to have to model that we have to be willing to step outside our comfort zone, right? So in other words, we have to model that we're always learners ourselves. So we can't say, well, this is the way I do it, and this is the way I've always done it, so this is the way I'm going to keep doing it, right? No, you have a responsibility to lead learning. You're a teacher. You're an educator. So you would never accept from a kid, well, that's the way I am, and that's the way I learn, so I'm not going to learn any other way. That's not good either, right? This is the issue I always had with parents that said, well, that teacher doesn't teach the way my child learns, right? Okay, if it's 100%, yeah, that's not going to be good for the kid. So again, I'm not a big believer in all or nothing. So to me, should we flip a classroom so kids can get that experience? Absolutely. Should we do a project-based project type of activity or unit? Absolutely. But do I think we should do project-based every day? No, because it goes contra against what we just said. Not every child is going to learn best that way. So why wouldn't we give kids different types of learning experiences so they can begin to figure out how they learn best at the same time, pushing their thinking, so maybe they'll learn a different way. And this is how, in my opinion, we create a more well-rounded student and more importantly, a well-rounded learner, and quite frankly, a more well-rounded teacher. And so I'm not, I just think, look, we should be bringing all different types of different ways to learn into our experiences for kids and for adults. And I think that's how we get better. That to me is not reimagining learning. That's just the way learning should be, in my opinion. But Again, I just have an opinion. I'm not saying I'm right. You know, another one of the big things right now that I guess you could say is trending, and, and I'm a and I'm a proponent of this, is this idea that every high school needs a profile of a graduate. Um, you know, and I, you know, with your high school background, you probably were one of the first to have one. But for a lot of uh, schools, high schools, they're just now having some of these conversations, which I find interesting in in its own sense, but. As you think about that, uh, if you just have a bunch of adults that form a profile committee and sit around and talk about what's best for kids, I don't know if it's going to serve your needs. Don't we need to have high school kids actually in as a part of those conversations as to what do they need for their future? Greg, I, I, you know, to me and everything, it, 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 this is a simple one for me, right? Like, why are we making decisions all the time without having the actual uh, people who are going to be impacted most by that decision sitting at the table, right? So this is what we do, right? It's no different. Superintendents make decisions in terms of districts without involving their principals. Principals make decisions without involving their staff. Staff make decisions without involving their children. Again, this is why I say we create the issues that are in our, in our organizations. Now, again, there are districts out there and schools out there that truly have student agency, student voice, uh, they're allowing those kids to be a part of that process. And again, to me, that's the difference. That's why some of these schools are, have created um, cultures that are so much more high-performing than others. So again, 
But from the flip side, I look at it this way, Greg, it is a different approach to it, right? So, you know, I kind of go back into what I said back in the beginning is that I still think most people go in trying to do the best that they can. And so there's sometimes an immediate pressure by those who go into teaching and those who go into administration that we're supposed to have all the answers and we can't. And so you had mentioned earlier, and I agree with that, that this is why we have to think about in terms of what is our process for that? What is our framework that we have in place? What's the system that we're trying to create? And to me, this is all about equity. If we don't have a system in place, we're going to have inequities. And my experience, again, I don't mean to offend people, but it's my experience that those inequities often, often fall on children of color, children with special needs, children of poverty. And so that's why people need to understand that this equity component is so important, which is why we have to continue to work towards a system. But yet at the same time, I still think we can create systems where there's still autonomy within that structure, if that makes sense. So yes, student voice is critical, whether it's making decisions about what schools should look like, about course proposals. This is the one I always talk about. Like, can you imagine this? The adults are always sitting around trying to figure out which courses we should be offering for kids, but nobody ever asked the kids, right? We make decisions in isolation about what we want the first day of school to look like for children. Well, ask the children, right? Ask the adults what you want professional learning opportunities to look like, right? So if you're going to do some trainings in your school, right, or you're going to try to enhance uh, the skill sets of teachers, Let's bring them into the conversation to say, hey, what are some of the things that you would like to see when we begin to look at our staff development plan, right? So these are conversations that should be having, but oftentimes because of lack of time or because of lack of vision, we take shortcuts and we do what the easier route because we think the other way sometimes takes too much time. But in the end, guess what? You end up taking a lot more time and quite frankly, you impact your, your, your culture in a negative way because people feel like they're, they're not valued, they're not appreciated, and they don't have a voice. My guest today has been Jimmy Casas. You want to follow him on Twitter at Casas underscore Jimmy. You can also find him at his website at JimmyCasas.com. And, Jimmy, I can't thank you enough for your patience and for taking your time. We had a few bumps in the road with Internet Connection earlier, but I think we finally got it lined out. So thanks for sticking with me. And kind of as we close, I know you're heavily involved in the What Great Educators Do Differently conference, and you're going to be in Texas and Tennessee, I believe, in April. Can you just talk about why people should run out and register and show up at these uh, What Great Educators Do Differently events? Yeah, I mean – you know, number one, it's because we're bringing a group of people together that I think obviously are very passionate about the work they do. These are people who are current practitioners. Uh, they still work in the field. Uh, they're from all over the country. And quite frankly, they're just really, really, really good people who want to help others. And so uh, one of the best things we love about the What Great Educators Do Differently conferences is, again, we get the opportunity to bring a group of people together who are passionate about children, who are passionate about our profession. And when you can bring a group of people together, and that's why intentionally we try to keep our conferences somewhere between three to 400 people, is because we want it to be a small community where people actually get to interact, not only amongst each other, but interact with the presenters and continue to network and build this community where people truly believe that they can make a difference in the lives of kids. So we're blessed uh, with the opportunity to do these conferences. We're going to be in Houston, like you said, in SciFair on April 2nd. We'll be in Nashville um, in, on August, or excuse me, April 13th, 
And um, so we're just looking forward to it. We'll be back in Iowa in September doing a leadership institute in Iowa. Um, we're just very blessed and we're very grateful for those people who continue to attend. Uh, we certainly have created a following of people who continue to attend our events uh, each year. So we're very grateful for that. So thank you very much. Well, again, Jimmy, I'm a big fan and uh, you're doing great things out there. I can't wait to see what's next for you. Uh, you think there'll be a culturized part two or uh, are we going to take a little bit of downtime after writing so much? Uh, you know, I think one of the things is, <laughs> I mean, if I'm being really honest, Greg, you know, I tell people, <laughs> you know, I don't have a job, so <laughs> I've got to do something to fill my time. Right. So, you know, honestly, it's, um, and I say that obviously joking a little bit, but I also say it seriously is that like, I never want to forget how difficult it is to be a principal, which is why I try to spend as much time today I can in schools coaching principals, working with principals, visiting schools. It certainly isn't the same, but I also did it for 22 years and I've been out of it for two years. Trust me, I have not forgotten what it feels like to be in that environment every day, running around, you know, just getting pulled in a hundred different directions. So I have so much for respect for the work educators do. Um, our teachers, our principals, our superintendents, and quite frankly, even Obviously, even people like we forget about, right? Like our guest teachers, right? Our custodians, our bus drivers, our secretaries. I just tweeted out the other day, our heart and soul of our schools, right? The people in the main office who, you know, are there every day working with children, working with parents, working with staff. They seem to be able to do it all as well. So uh, I can't think of a greater profession than that of as an educator. And you and myself and our many countless friends and the people that we work with are truly blessed. So thank you so much for the opportunity today, my friend. And uh, this is what I love about social media. You mentioned Joe. I met Joe on social media. I met you through social media. Almost all the people involved in my life today, I met through a connection because this is what we're able to do when we just reach out and begin to realize that we can connect with anybody anymore in this world today. Yeah, well, great conversation. Again, I can't thank you enough. And folks, if you do not have this book, you need to make this part of your professional library. The name of the book is Culturize Every Student, Every Day, Whatever It Takes. Also, be sure to jump out and get the, the book with uh, Jimmy and Jeff Zuhl, Stop Right Now, The 39 Stops to Making Schools Better. So with that, Jimmy, thanks for your time. And as always, folks, remember, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at drgreggoins.